Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to the podcast. This is Bradley Laird and you've probably seen my website, bradleylaird.com. My purpose with the website is to teach people how to play bluegrass music mandolin, banjo, guitar, and some other stuff. Now, what I want to talk about in this edition of the podcast is something that I consider to be the ugly truth. And this is this is a topic that very few people ever talk about. In fact, I don't believe I've ever spoken about it in the 250 pages of information on my website or in any of my ebooks or videos, I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but it needs to be said, and it's something you need to think about. Now, I'm directing this primarily at people who have just started learning to play an instrument, but it also applies possibly at later stages. Let's say you played for for a couple years, and you put it away, and five years later, you got the bug to learn to play again. Um, So it really applies to those people too. But here it is in a nutshell. This is the thing that you're not going to read on somebody's website where their purpose is to encourage you to learn to play and potentially purchase some of their products and services. But here it is. When you start out learning how to play, there are two possible end results. The first end result is the preferable one. And that is, you begin to learn to play. You decide you would like to play an instrument. You say to yourself, I'd like to learn how to play some bluegrass. Option one, or destination one, is you end up at some point in the future as a competent musician. You're actually doing it. You actually play. Option two is you're going to quit. You're going to give up and you're going to quit. That's the two possibilities. You're either going to do it or you're going to quit. Now, some people will proceed along the path towards becoming a musician and they'll get partway down the path and then they'll quit. So they'll imagine you're walking through the woods on a path and there's a fork in the road. One fork leads to you're a musician for the rest of your life. The other path ends in a dead end. You quit. And it happens. Don't think it won't. I mean, a lot of people are really excited when they first start. They have high hopes. They buy an instrument. They buy some books. They buy a video. Maybe they take some lessons. They go to a couple of jam sessions. And at that early stage, they really believe that they can do it. But then something happens along the way. Or it could be sudden, or it could be just a gradual deterioration. And they quit. 
I've I've been teaching private lessons since I think I started in 1982. And I would bet you that if I had a list of all the people that I've ever taught, and you could include the thousands of people who I've taught and I've never seen them through my websites, my ebooks, my videos. If you took that massive list of people who started, I'll bet you 95% of them quit, ultimately quit. And that's not saying very good things about the methodology of how they're learning. So here are these two paths in the woods. You're marching along and you decide to learn to play an instrument. One path is a continuous ongoing path towards actually doing it. And the other path is I quit. My banjo is in the closet. My mandolin, I gave it to my son. Whatever. There's a whole lot of people out there who wanted to do it and ultimately quit. And I don't want you to end up in that category. Too many people end up in that category. And sometimes it's a failure of teaching. Sometimes it could be blamed on the teacher. Sometimes it could be blamed on sort of a misunderstanding by the person about what they were wanting to do in the first place. And by that I mean you might uh, think you want to play the banjo and then six months later you realize maybe you don't really like the banjo as much as you thought you did and you quit. So there are justifiable reasons for quitting. Um, so I'm not telling you don't quit. If, if you want to quit, quit. I mean, you know, you're free to do what you want to do. But I'm going to assume that if you bought an instrument and you are really hot on the idea of learning how to play, that you would like to actually do it. Now, let's not worry too much right now about um, what level you reach in the end. I'm just saying we'll use the level of a, a decent, competent, all-round musician. How about that? Let's say you're walking around at a, at a bluegrass festival and you see some little jam sessions and stuff. And you, you hang around the whole weekend and you watch people. Well, you'll see some people that it doesn't take you long after you observe them. You realize they don't really know very much. They, maybe they're a guitar player and they, they play everything in the same key and they know about three or four chords. And they play everything at one speed. And then if up walks a banjo player and a mandolin player and a fiddle player and they start, the jam starts getting pretty hot, you might see that person just put it in his case or he just disappears. So that's one level of player. Uh, they're competent up to a point. But then you've got the next layer, which is they're more versatile. They know more tunes. They can play at more speeds. They can play in more keys. They sing. Maybe they sing harmony. Uh, so that's the next level up. Then you've got the people who are in organized bands. They're out playing with the same people week after week. They're practicing and they're performing occasionally, but semi-professionally. And then way up on the other, at the far end of this are the professional players. And you know who they are. Recording deals, concerts, festivals. You know, it's their entire livelihood. 
is making music. So all of those possibilities exist on the do-it path. But the quit path, it goes nowhere. It doesn't, at least it, it goes nowhere in terms of playing music. Maybe if you quit and you become a sailboat racer, you know, maybe that's your thing. So I'm not saying, you know, quitting is a bad thing. There are a lot of things I've set out to do and then I later quit doing. Uh, one example is flint napping. I got the bug to learn how to chip arrowheads and I really got into it. And for a couple of years, I was just obsessed with it. I haven't made one in four or five years. So I eventually quit and I did reach some level of proficiency. And today I could still pick up a piece of flint and knock out an arrowhead. It wouldn't be nearly as good as some of the ones I've seen made when you go to a flint napping show, a nap-in, they call them. If I went to a nap-in, sometimes I look at some of that stuff and I say, man, how in the world did this guy make this? So, you know, right now, bluegrass may be your thing and later on it may not. I hope that it that you do stick with it and you follow the do-it path and get somewhere with it. And here's the reason why. And I tell every student I have this same basic thing. It's a whole lot more fun to play bluegrass if you're pretty good at it. It's not near as much fun if you stink. You could say the same thing about golf. It's no fun to go play golf and be really bad at it. You know, it's a lot more fun, at least if you're a competent golfer, if you occasionally hit a good drive, if you don't lose all your balls. I mean, I'm not a golfer, but if you've ever played golf, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot more fun to do things if you can do them well, or at least at some level that you would consider competent. You don't necessarily have to be the world's greatest, but you need to be competent if you want to stick with it for the rest of your life. And I want you to be able to do that. And in terms of the, uh, the materials that you learn from, I could sit here all day talking about why I think my videos and books will help you along the do-it path. And, and those, those statements would be true, but it all hinges on a thing that probably a lot of people don't give much thought to. And let me tell you what that is. We've already discussed you are either going to do it or you're going to quit. That's the truth. I don't want you to quit. I want you to do it. So let's talk about how to do it. The number one thing that you must have if you're going to do it, if you're going to become a competent musician, is you have to believe that it is possible. You might say, well, that's that's kind of ridiculous. Of course I think it's possible. No, you don't. Uh, you might think it's possible today. You might order yourself a brand new Eastman 305X mandolin and get yourself some DVDs or download some books. Or And at that point, you believe it's possible. Again, like we talked about levels of proficiency, 
I'm not saying that you believe you're going to be the next Chris Thiele or you're going to be the next Bela Fleck. I'm not saying that, but you do believe you're going to get somewhere with it. If you didn't think you were going to be able to do it, you wouldn't have ever bought the instrument in the first place. Now let's take out of the equation all the kids and uh, wives or husbands, usually it's wives, who are kind of forced into playing. Like, husband's really into bluegrass and he just, he really wants his wife to get involved because he's having so much fun with it. And he pushes her and pushes her and pushes her. Learn to do this. Learn to do that. Here, you can learn to play the bass. I'm not talking about those people because those people, quite frankly, they might believe they want to do it and they might do it to some degree, but they don't really want to do it because if they wanted to do it in the first place, they'd already be doing it. So let's set aside those people. Let's talk about the people who chose to learn to play an instrument. And I'm assuming now that you're one of those people that you saw some bands, you heard something on XM radio or whatever. You were exposed to this kind of music and you thought, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if I could do that. Well, you had to believe that you could at least to some level or you wouldn't own an instrument and you certainly wouldn't be sitting here listening to me right now. So I have to assume you believe. But when you do the quit thing, when you, when you stop practicing, when you stop going to bluegrass festivals, when you stop going to the local jam sessions and your mandolin or whatever it is has been in the closet for two years, you quit. Well, why? The reason you quit, well, there can be other reasons. Like maybe you lost your job or your your dog had to have an operation or whatever. I mean, I, I, I realize there are some legitimate reasons for quitting that have nothing to do with what I'm about to say. But I would say that the majority of cases where people quit is because they stopped believing that they were ever going to be able to do it. They stopped believing that it was possible. So you've got to believe that you too can be a musician. And, you know, you'd probably be surprised that most of the really good musicians that I've met over my lifetime I would not consider them to be like amazing talents. Uh, you know, before they were walking, they were playing. You, you really honestly don't run into very many people like that. The Mozart type who we don't know how he was able to do what he was able to do. There are those rarities. Let's just set those people aside. The bulk of the great musicians, if you go and you go to a bluegrass festival and you watch 10 bluegrass bands perform, and I'm talking about one of the upper-level level bluegrass festivals where everybody is a known entity, a nationally touring act. You watch those. 80 to 90% of the musicians you're watching, they're just like you. They weren't born doing this. They had to learn how to do it. And they kept on, they stayed on the do-it path, and they achieved higher and higher levels of ability. You can do that, but you have to maintain the belief that it's possible. Now, now I started out way back years ago. Uh, first, I wanted to play the fiddle. Then I wanted to be a banjo player. 
And then I ended up focusing on mandolin because I went to college, and I won't give you this whole long story, but when I went to college, I, I showed up in my little Dodge Colt with a bass fiddle, a fiddle, a banjo, a guitar, and a mandolin. And I had a little grocery bag full of clothes. That's, and a typewriter. I had a typewriter, too. That's what I showed up. My intention, my real intention for college was I wanted to form a bluegrass band, and I wanted to be performing bluegrass. I wanted to be the banjo player. But as things turned out, the very first person that I met there at college who played an instrument was a banjo player. And I said to him, um, you know, do you, do you play anything else? No, just banjo. So I ended up being the mandolin player by default. And that was great. I, I was learning how to play the mandolin and doing it pretty rapidly because I had a lot of time on my hands. But what I had at that stage was the belief that I could be a professional level mandolin player. I really believed that. Maybe maybe I was deluding myself, but truthfully, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You've got to believe it's true. And it's, and it's hard to get people to believe something. It's almost impossible. I've had students come along who I know darn well they were perfectly capable of learning to play, but they never made any progress. No progress. And I would say to them, well, no, no, why do you want to do this? Why, why, what, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish here? But, oh, I just, I don't know. I, I just want to be able to pick along a little bit and, you know, sit in on a jam. I'm like, well, that's exactly the level you're going to achieve. In other words, if you believe that you will never be any good at it, that is exactly going to be your future. So if it requires a little bit of self-delusion, go for it. If somehow you have to convince yourself that it is in fact possible to achieve something musically. So there I was sitting down at college and I had a, maybe 10 or 12 records and I would put them on and I'd listen to these mandolin players. Or I was listening to all of it, but focusing on the mandolin players and, and one record in particular that I had was the old Star Day Newgrass Revival record with Sam Bush playing mandolin. And I listened to that thing countless times, in particular the song Lonesome Fiddle Blues. And I'd listen to Sam playing his break. And then I would stop the record and try to figure out what in the world he was doing. I had no computer. They weren't they weren't uh there were no home computers then there was no internet this was in 1979 1980 all i had was that record player put it on listen to lonesome fiddle blues stop the record try to figure out what he was doing and you give it enough time you do figure it out but he would jump up into this high part of the of the toward the end of his solo he would jump up an octave and play the basic lick up one octave. Well, at my level at that time, I'd been playing mandolin or trying to play mandolin for about six months. I could not do what he was doing. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't even figure out what notes he was playing. But I said to myself, the only thing 
that's different between me and him is this. He knows what notes to play, and he's practiced them enough to be able to play them. And so I said, well, that's the only difference. So I need to, A, figure out what notes he's playing, and B, I need to practice it and practice it and practice it until I can do it as good as he does. And that's the only difference between me and Sam Bush. Now, whether that's true or not doesn't really matter. What does matter is that that's what I believed. I believed it was possible. Because I thought there had to be a time back in the past when he couldn't do that, and now he can do that. So what's the difference? Well, he had to learn what to play, and then he had to be able to play it. So that's pretty simplistic thinking on my part, maybe. But I thought I could do that. So I slowed the record down to 16. And laboriously, over a period of a week or so, I figured out those notes. It was just one little lick. It was maybe 13 notes. So now I have found them. They're way up the fingerboard, and it's all in closed positions, and I've got to use my pinky. I've got to use all four fingers. But at least now I know what the notes are. So then I start practicing it, and I play it. And I play it, and I play it, and I play it. I'm getting a little better at it. But can I just rip that lick off at high speed? No. But I'm continuing to delude myself into believing. If I play it enough, I will eventually be able to do it. Ten years go by, and I've turned into what I would call a pretty competent mandolin player. And I still can't play that lick, or I couldn't at that point. And when we would play the song Lonesome Fiddle Blues with our band, once in a while I would dive up there and try to finish the break with that lick that I had worked on so long. And once or twice, I sort of kind of played it. But usually the thing that prevented me from playing it was the speed. If we had been going 20 beats a minute slower... I probably could have played it. Now, why couldn't I play that lick? Well, at some point, I quit practicing it. And there are other factors involved. I was also trying to practice a lot of other things at the same time. So anyway, to make a long story short, the, the difference between the person who continues on the path of becoming a musician and the person who stops is belief. As soon as you stop believing you can do it, you're done. Had I sat down, listened to that lick, maybe even figured the notes out, and then said, wow, that is incredibly difficult. And I tried it three or four times, and I went, I can never do that. Well, that would be true. You create your own reality here, in a sense. So you've got to believe, and I assume at this point you do believe, what you've got to do is banish from your mind anything that takes away that belief that you could, in fact, do it. Now, again, like I hinted around at earlier, I don't. it doesn't do you any good to go around comparing yourself to... Bela Fleck, Chris Thiele, 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. David Grisman, Sam Bush, Bill Monroe even. Because those levels of achievement are extremely rare and difficult. But just pick a guy you know in your town who's a pretty good player. Can Do you think you could ever accomplish that? If you don't think so, you're done. You have to believe. Maybe in a future podcast, I'll talk about ways to help yourself believe. The number one way, I'll just briefly touch on it here, is seeing some actual real success. Nothing will make you believe you can do it than occasionally actually doing it. This would be like, let's say you played on a softball team. And you're pretty lousy. And you you tend to strike out and pop fly every time at bat. If you will walk up there just once and knock a home run, just once, you'll know it's possible. So you've got to give yourself opportunities to succeed, even in small ways. Because every success leads you to the belief that you can make additional successes. Now, this is one of the things I do in my video lessons. I I try to teach in such a way that I'm giving you fairly accomplishable things to do at a slow enough speed that you can really do it. So, So then at the end of that process, you go, oh, I can do that. So therefore, I should be able to do something else. I, I I get frustrated sometimes when I peruse the various YouTube lessons and so on, and a lot of the lessons ap- appear to be uh, just full of showing off. Like, let me show you how great I am. And uh, it can be really discouraging. I mean, a few people are able to come up to that standard, but I, I remember, I won't mention any names, but I quite a few years ago, picked up a DVD or a tape or something. And the, the, the teacher, tremendous musician, was like right off the bat teaching three octave scales and arpeggios on the mandolin. I was like, whoa, most people can't play a one octave scale competently much less two octaves, forget three. This is not necessarily a good place to start for most people. I even tried a few of them and, you know, it was hopeless. So, once again, you, you've got to have the right information. You need you need to have the kind of learning materials that match with you. Maybe some players, that's the thing for. Other people, we mere mortals, we might need some other type of instruction. So we've talked about, you've got to believe, uh, let's talk about information. Uh, because one of the, the factors when I was attempting to learn to play was a, I had to believe it was possible and B, I had to figure out what they were doing, figure out what, where to put my fingers, which string to hit, what direction, uh, you know, sort out all those notes and bluegrass can, go by mighty fast and it's really hard to figure out what's going on. So that's one of the valuable things about tablature, um, slow downers, uh, teachers who will slow down enough to 
so you can comprehend what's going on. Because if you don't get the information in there for what it is you're trying to do, you're going to be forced to just make up your own stuff. And ultimately, at the end of this process or along the way, I, I want you to make up your own stuff. But initially, if you want to play old Joe Clark, you kind of need to know how old Joe Clark goes, quote unquote. So if somebody plays at 9,000 miles an hour, you're not going to gather as much from that as you would if they would just slow down, take their time, show it to you. So I try to do that with my teaching, and hopefully that's beneficial, especially for the beginner. So you got to have the information, where to put your fingers, what notes you're trying to hit, because you need something you're intending to do. Then you need to practice. Remember what I said when I was trying to learn that Sandbush solo. I thought if I knew what he was, what notes he were playing, and I practiced it enough, I would eventually do it. Well, those things are true. You've got to know what it is you're trying to do. That's the first point. And you've got to be able to practice it enough. I said I had it wrong though. Back then I thought if I practice it enough, I will be able to do it eventually. Practice is important, but just how much practice is not the only factor. You also have to practice correctly. For example, if I practiced that lick over and over and over and over and over at a speed that was too fast for me to execute, all I'm really doing is teaching myself how to play it poorly. And I believe I was probably doing that in my youthful exuberance back in those days. I wanted to get to it quick. I wanted to be playing it fast. And I thought the best way to play it fast was to practice it as fast as I could. But in doing so, I was constantly making little, little micro errors in my playing. And so I just get better and better and better at playing poorly. Oh yes, I would slow down and try to play it real slow, but I'd get impatient and then want to go fast again. So you do need to be able to practice and you've got to practice a lot, but practicing is a lot more effective if you do it right. And there are proven methods for practicing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just bear that in mind that there are several ways to practice and some of them work and some of them don't. So just keep that in mind, but you do have to practice. I'll at least say that much is true, but let's, let's just say practice makes perfect. Isn't necessarily true. Practice makes perfect, I think, is a a false statement. I would rephrase it, perfect practice makes perfect. In some other podcasts or in some of my lessons and ebooks, I talk all about that. In particular, if you're a mandolin player, in the book Mandolin Masterclass, and also my book, these are both ebooks, Mandolin Training Camp, I talk a lot about practicing and how to practice. And I I know this stuff from my own experience and from the experience of my students over the years. I've seen what works and what does not work. If you want to end up at the end of the day being able to play it well. So uh, check out those two books if you're a mandolin player. Mandolin Masterclass and Mandolin Training Camp. 
probably master classes has the better information about practice in it. So you have to practice, no doubt about that, but you also have to practice correctly. Now, I will admit any practice is better than no practice. I don't know if I really should say that because there are some pretty bad methods of practicing. But you're not going to get any better just leaving it under the bed or in the closet. That much is a fact. You got to have that thing in your hands and you got to be trying to play it. And if you call that practice, well, that's better than nothing. But there are ways to fine tune your practice so that you make faster progress and you end up being a better player. Okay, so that's that's what you have to have to stay on that do it path. You have to believe it's possible. That's mostly up to you. You've got to have information to go on. That's up to you to seek it out. But me as a instructional materials provider, I look at that that as my job. I'm going to give you the information you need. You may not know what you need, but I I think I do if you want to be a bluegrass player anyway. So you got to believe that's up to you. You need information. It's out there. Get some information. Then you need to practice. And hopefully practice correctly so that you don't waste lots of time. And then I would say the final thing you need to do if you're going to hang in there and you're really going to do it and you're going to be a competent musician is, is a thing called mileage. I just call it mileage. When I was learning how to tune pianos, my mentor, the great Tony Terrell, who was teaching me the finer points of piano tuning and rebuilding, and I worked in his piano shop, but I was also a self-taught piano tuner, and I was out tuning for the public at that time. But we would have these long discussions while we were working day after day after day about tuning and about piano regulation and jazz music. We talked about everything. He was a bass player and a trombone player, in addition to being a piano technician. So I spent a lot of time hanging around with old Tony. And he used to say this, all the time in reference to me wanting to become a better piano tuner. He's like, Brad, listen, Brad, listen, Brad, what you need is mileage. And I would get that answer to almost any question. If I was saying now, Tony, you know, the other day I was tuning this piano and when I got up above middle C and I was tuning the fourths, I just felt like I was having to, I don't know. I was, I was having trouble, you know, getting them exactly where I want. He was like, oh, Brad, Brad, listen, listen. See, I wanted an answer. I wanted a technical reason, uh, some technical secret to how to tune. And he's just like, oh, Brad, Brad, listen, listen, Brad. Brad, uh, what you need is mileage. You just need mileage. And I'm like, well, what is he talking about? I want an answer to my question. I want to know how to how to do this this particular thing. He's like, you need mileage. But he's right. Once you've got the belief in yourself and you've got some information and you're practicing correctly, you still need mileage. You gotta accumulate some miles. 
It's a lot like learning to drive. If you learned, like I did, how to drive a stick shift. We had an old Volkswagen, and that's what I learned to drive on. And when you're, when you're just beginning to learn to drive, especially when your dad's sitting in the passenger seat over-instructing, you tend to think about everything. You're thinking about the clutch, the brake, the shifter, the turn signals. The, there's a lot to think about, and you're trying to think about it all. But a year later, two years later, five years later, ten years later, you're not thinking about it at all. You never think about how much do I let the clutch, how, how rapidly do I let the clutch out as I'm stopped on a hill and I'm pulling away from a red light. You don't think about those things. And the reason you're able to drive the car so smoothly with no conscious thought at all is mileage. You've accumulated enough mileage to ingrain those habits into your subconscious mind. And really, that's what good practice is all about. Good practice is using your conscious mind to train the subconscious mind so that when you perform, you don't really have to think about it. Oh, you got to think about what song am I playing and, you know, I got to play the A part and the B part. But how you bring your middle finger down just behind the third fret and slide to the fourth fret at just the right... You don't think about that. You just do it. Well, all of that do it is controlled by your subconscious mind. So you need mileage. So as a beginner, most of your mileage is just you sitting in a chair, maybe in front of your computer, and picking and practicing all by your lonesome. Well, that's mileage. You are getting mileage. But eventually... You're going to need to get mileage of a different kind. For example, if I were teaching my daughter how to drive a car, first we're just going to go back and forth in the driveway. Then we're going to drive around the neighborhood at a time when there's not much traffic. Then eventually we're going to go to the mall and back. We haven't hit the interstate yet, and we're certainly not driving in the Indy 500. But... You're like that person driving back and forth in the driveway, just trying it out. Stop, start, screech, start, back up. Try out the wipers, you know, that kind of thing. But eventually you got to get the nerve up to drive around the block. And oh my God, there's a car coming towards me. You know, you've got to get some mileage. So sooner or later, you're going to have to take that instrument, get up the nerve, and go to a jam session. It's a good place to start. Start building mileage. So anyway, let me go back and just recap the big point, which is, as of today, you want to play. You want to be a competent bluegrass musician. You want to. So you got to believe it's possible, and it is possible, because 90% of the really good musicians were just like you. They believed they could do it, and they, by God, did it. Well, you can too. So point yourself down that path to doing it. I want you to really do it. I don't want you to quit. 
So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you'll visit my website, www.bradleylaird.com. That's where all my stuff resides. If you want free banjo lessons, if you want free claw hammer lessons, mandolin stuff, dulcimer, I've got guitar stuff. There's all kinds of stuff there. You've probably been there, and that's probably how you found this podcast. But maybe you haven't. Check it out. Go to bradleylaird.com and see the things that I have to offer. All offered to you to help you do it and not quit. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast. 